Hello, I am Mary Kay. And I'm Louise. And together we are Novel Gazing, the podcast that talks literary fiction. We are recording today's show on February 4th, so if good juicy gossip happens between now and then, that's why we're not talking about it yet. Um, On today's show, we're discussing current affairs and news from the literary fiction world, how to handle difficult books, and we'll tell you more about what that means in a little while, and also sharing our latest reads. Also, we're so pleased that you found us. Yay, well done you. Yes, Um, but we would love it if you could help others find us as well by leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, We're starting out here and we'd love to get 100 ratings as it makes a huge difference to how people find us. And if you could help us with that, we will love you more than we already do. Seconded. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, before all of that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, gotta go on on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so we shall kick off with news and current affairs, I think. And I think the one that I was wanting to chat to you about to, uh, today, Mary Kay, was yes. the Curtis Sittenfeld is writing a What If Hillary Clinton Didn't Marry Bill book. And I'm sure the title is going to be more pithy than that. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, it's basically what happened if when he proposed to her, she said no and went off and did her own thing. As a woman who has made many missteps in the romance world, um, I feel like all of us, whenever like after a relationship goes poorly, we're like, oh my God, I could have done so much more if mm. I had just seen it. I mean, not that that was not that that was a mistake on her part or anything like that, but just on the level of being like a woman, I'm interested in that concept yeah. of like the decision tree of who you date. But what do you think about this one in particular? I think it's really interesting that she's such like um, an immediate public figure, and that mm-hmm. she still she's got this story that, and I'm speaking very much here as someone who isn't American by any means. Um, mm-hmm but that has this story that resonates outside of America and outside into, um, you know, the climate of publishing in a worldwide context, because that is what this Mm -hmm. book will be, right? Mm -hmm. So the thought of going, okay, what if she didn't marry Bill? What if that became the the story that she's had becomes something totally different? It's interesting to me. It's interesting to me based on the perspective of the author. Yeah. Like, who is that? And is it really just, like, a pipe dream of sorts where I wish that that hadn't happened? (gasps) Or is it... It's also interesting, um, you said in here that they're real people, but, I mean, we don't have any problems with alternate histories where the way it did happen is we... Everyone knows it. Yeah. Um, Like, it's fine when Tarantino does it. Huh. Like, or I mean, for many people, it's fine. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, what does that mean that we're doing it while it's happening? Because, it, I mean, technically, it's not too late. Like, she could marry someone else if she really <laughs> wanted to. Do you think it's like, because what you said earlier about it being like a wish fulfillment thing, do you think it's mm-hmm. like a fanfic type of effort? Like, you know, this is what if, this is what it could have been, and... This is where this woman could have gone. Like a political fanfic. Yeah, fiction. like a political fanfic. Mixed with a little bit of romance. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds brilliant. If someone wants to write this, another one, please do. <laughs> oh, that's, I don't, hmm. So, what if books in general, when I read that question, I was like, blech, mm. no. Like, it does kind of seem like a, fantastical wish fulfillment okay it doesn't appeal to me personally but i know that lots of people really love fantasy yeah i think um there's a real big trend um, any- like in the british books for um what if britain lost the second world war there's a fair few of those around and you know like the alternate mm-hmm. histories where oh if such and such had happened then where would we be now and all that, and I can see they're really exciting because you kind of um, reimagine what the world could have been, but then you also have this appreciation for, you know, or maybe um, a distaste in in certain contexts for what the world like is. Right. Um, I think it can get also really gross really fast mm. because I live in the South, and the people, the way people rewrite our civil war in the south yeah. is like what if the south had won like that would be a huge horror terrible experience for yes a lot of people so it's like- and so i think i think when we get into what if stuff it kind of it's a 
fine line. Like I'm yeah. not saying that's what this book will do, but but it's part of a true. It's part of a like I don't know if I can call it a genre, like a tradition, maybe of reimagining. Yeah. And it's all the sort of the power struggles that go into it, as you say. Who retells mm-hmm. the stories and who makes who the winners? Mm-hmm. It's almost a denial too. Mm, yeah, of like, no, this did happen. Like it, it you got to come to terms with it. It's I know. Like, whatever horrible atrocity happened, like, would be great if it didn't. I mean, again, not saying that this marriage was an atrocity or an abomination of any <laughs> kind. I don't know the ins and outs of their relationship, but when we get when we get into like rewriting history, I think it's it's dangerous even to do it in a fictional okay. way. Ooh. But of course there's a line. It's just Yeah, it's just finding that line, isn't it? And like standing on it and going, Okay, this is where mm-hmm. this is and this is what this talks to, but it's it's not doing perhaps any of the stuff that you, you mention. Mm-hmm. I think to a degree like some transparency established with the reader at the very jump of like this is a work of fantasy. Mm. Just sort of dispelling any misconceptions that you might have about what the actual history was. Wasn't there um, that, um, sorry, this has just reminded me, wasn't there that thing where it was, oh gosh, uh, Scarlett Johansson getting mm-hmm. fictionalized and suing about her fictional representation? Uh, I don't know about that. Oh no, this has just I reminded me. Like using real people in books and using them as like, um, characters in this fictional environment it is as you say it's mm-hmm. a really difficult space to navigate and you do need that transparency of going these are these are my rules you know mm-hmm. yeah and I think as a, as an author as well um, if, especially if you're writing non-fiction portraying it the way that you see it is a matter of perspective mm. No matter what, like you're oh, yeah. not gonna make everyone happy. But just because, like, even if it is true, people wish they had acted better. Mm. Like, don't air my dirty laundry. Is like, well, you did it. It's kind of fair game. Um, so your dirty laundry was already aired. <laughs> you did that. You did you this. It's on you. You want to put it out there? <laughs> it was on the clothesline. What do you want me to do? Not yes. point at yes. it. Sorry, <laughs> it's it's just the job. <laughs> Right. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, That's really an interesting piece of news, though. And the one that I found that is uh, interested me, um, and of course we'll link to it in the show notes, but it's about the what the great Russian writers didn't get about the criminal mind. Okay. Um, which, of course, is something that's interesting to me as a person who is super interested in criminals mm. and crime and murder and all that, all that. Uh, speaking of atrocities, um, <laughs> but it seemed like the main thing that this author was saying is that uh, in the time when Dostoevsky and his um, Russian counterparts were in prison or labor camps or um, what's the term that I'm looking for? I'm not saying Oof. it right. Um, mm, incarceration? Maybe? Yes. Yes. And I think that there's a, a more specific term that I'm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that everyone listening is screaming it at us. Yeah, right really now, sorry. So. <laughs> Our apologies for your well being at this point. Um, but Right. But when they were um, serving their sentences, um, gangsters weren't really a thing then. 
Okay. In Russia, which I think is very interesting uh, because I would never have considered them not being a thing. Because in every prison movie I've seen, it's like where you sit at the lunch table determines what gang you're associated with, whether you've been like indoctrinated in it or whatever. But yeah. So what did you think? Did you have any? I thought it was really interesting. Russian history and Russian writing is still something that. I struggle with a lot and we're going to talk about this I know like the things we struggle with in a sec but um yeah that's why I picked it because I know that like Anna Karenina like we talked about on our last Mm. episode was one that I really struggled through um and that's of course Tolstoy but I really like Dostoevsky because he deals with like the inner workings of the criminal mind so much or like morality yeah is very interesting to me so i don't have any i mean in his i mean they're behemoths like the books are they huge are. so like it's still a struggle to get through um it's like a physical yeah. commitment as well as a mental commitment <laughs> it like really i'm gonna is. have to look yes. this around for, for the next six years it takes me to read it right um should we move on into the difficult books yes because i think that sounds like an excellent link um but before we do that a word from our sponsors today's episode is brought to you by disney books do y'all like caribbean mythology what's more a thriller inspired by caribbean mythology if you do i got something for you a must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals but then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders and the truth selena has been denying can no longer be avoided there is evil lurking in the forest that surround saint virgil and to find out what that evil is make sure to pick up it waits in the forest by sarah das and thanks again to disney books for sponsoring this episode Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Irena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so let's just lead this new section off with 
a little false intimacy and saying maybe one personal confession about a book that we found difficult to read and this maybe some strategies strategies that we worked through yeah i think that's a really important one like the we were saying just before we started recording about like what we wanted to do here and um Mm -hmm. like literary fiction you can read it and go i have no clue what i've just read and i have that Mm -hmm. a lot and it's just about working through that feeling and kind of going all right maybe i'm not understanding all of it but i'm understanding an element of it or i'm picking up a texture or a feeling from it and when i first came to um Simone de Beauvoir uh, and something like her work, there are layers upon layers upon layers there that I just don't pick up. And that's just through um, unfamiliarity with her and not quite fully realising and recognising the context and the things that she's talking to. So, yeah, I think um, I love her, but I'm conscious that I love a very particular element of her at the moment and I'm not Mm. fully uncovered who she is or what she's writing about so I think the big tip that I have um for understanding that was just giving myself the time to realize that I don't understand and recognize and realize everything about this writer but I will because like it comes doesn't it it comes Mm -hmm. I had to kind of do that with Absalom, Absalom, which is the hardest book that I've ever finished. Okay. And I restarted it many times. But that's like quite a um, cool thing to say, the hardest book you've ever finished. I like I like that. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I, and I ended up loving the book. I truly do love it. But it was and is very hard to access because I remember liking a particular section and my friend came over who is also a writer and I was like, let me read you this, just this one sentence. And I like flipped back like seven pages <laughs> because the syntax is so involved that like it's really hard to structure your reading time. Yeah. Because, um, but yeah, that's probably the hardest one that I finished. I also just as a confession – it's very hard for me to read 19th century British lit. I have such sympathy here, my goodness. Because all the characters run together for me. And all of their names sound the same. Uh-huh. And all of their distinguishing factors. Like, at the time, it would have been very distinct yeah. for someone to have, like, a long neck. But to me, that's just, like, a regular neck. <laughs> it doesn't, like, set anyone apart, you know? Like, yeah. Um, so, um, that's probably my biggest confession. Other, other things like a big book, like a, it doesn't really intimidate me because I'm like, well, I'm going to read, you know, one small section at a time. And I think that is, um, uh, and when I was teaching, that's what I would tell my students too. It's like, they're like, I can't believe you're making us read this whole thing. And I'd be like, well, you don't have to read the whole thing in one sitting. You read 10 pages and then get a snack and then you read 10 more pages and then, you check Facebook yeah. <laughs> or Twitter or Snapchat or whatever social media. But it's like giving yourself the liberty to do that, isn't it? And going, okay, look, I'm just going to do it in tiny, tiny bits. And then boom, I'm going to celebrate doing that tiny bit. And then I'm going to move on. Right. Um, 
One of my favorite things to do, and this is honestly how I tried to get through Anna Karenina and it defeated me. Um, my favorite thing is to make a cast list. Okay. So if you have, especially with the Russian novels, right? Like you draw a box around the character's name and then as you're going, you keep like a piece of paper beside you and you write like, um, what was the one that my students were having trouble with? Oh, it was from Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, of Love and Other Demons, oh, because right. the names, um, and I had several Spanish speakers in the class, but like some of the names were Portuguese, and if you weren't, if you didn't have any background in Spanish, they were very hard to pronounce, so you would just kind of gloss over the name, yeah. you know, so like it, it wasn't a name that you were familiar with, and they kind of would run together, and I think that is, that was what happened to me with the Russian names in Anna Yeah, Karenina. they just, they, yeah. So I'd have to... Yeah, they all sound the same. Same with the British names, right? Like, I, I really feel like that's why I don't have a great history of, or like a memory of um, the founding fathers of America is because all of their names sound <laughs> the same to me. <laughs> like, um, but if I, you know, have read a story about them where, say, for example, Lin-Manuel Miranda is playing one of them, yeah. then I can keep it straight. <laughs> um, anyway, so... What I would have them do is like draw a box around each character's name and then write out the qualities that they learned about him or her or them um, as they were going. And then when they come into class, I'd be like, okay, what what actor did you cast? I really like that, that like fan casting of people. So you've got their faces. Yeah. And I think it helps also. um, And we're going to talk about this later. But like if you didn't understand what was happening, like you couldn't get a good read on a character. Mm. When the other class, the rest of the class cast Athena, yeah, as, or, uh, cast like Angela Bassett as Athena, it's like, oh, I got it now. Like timeless, ageless beauty, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Powerful, a little bit like not. She's not scary, but you're a little intimidated by her beauty. Yeah, you're aware if she walks in the room. Yeah. Yes, it's like a, a statue, a force of mm. nature thing. And my favorite one. Um, in, and you're going to have to pr- help me pronounce and get the names right again. Chimamanda Adichie Ngozi. Did I get it right? In the right order? Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Oh, I switched them. Ah. I always do that. I don't know why. Oh, maybe um, I switched them. Any, <laughs> the, uh, y'all know who she is. Yeah, the like, legend. <laughs> she's amazing um, and has the best shoes in all of oh, the yes. land. Um, she really does. Um, but the the dad in that book was a hard read for a lot of my mm. students, and we cast Andre Brower okay. as as that character because he's like, I mean, he's Captain Holt in Brooklyn Nine Nine for anyone yeah. listening who is not familiar with that actor. But he's like stern but very loving. I like that. I really do. I think that's such a helpful yeah, way to do it because you've got like the yeah. like the scaffold of everyone else's thoughts to think. Okay, this is the direction that. I should be a heading in. Right. And then I'd have some people cast him as like, you know, someone totally different. I'd be like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> they would be like, no, I'm not wrong. That's my opinion. <laughs> so, um, so that was fun. Um, but that's a thing that really helps me, especially when um, the names run together, like they do with mm. the Russian books. So me. like um, with things that run together, one of the... Um, problems that I had and again we'll link to these books um in the in the show notes is that um mm-hmm. Duck's Newburyport by Lucy Elman with it being such one long unbroken sentence vast amounts of it I just couldn't figure out a place for me to stop reading 
Right. Like I was reading to the end of the sentence and I'm thinking, well, the end of the sentence is in like 30 pages. I, I'm going right. to die of exhaustion right. before I get there. This is very stressful. It's meant to be my bedtime read. And yet I'm still here at right. like 2am going, I just need the end of the sentence. I think like not knowing where to stop is a mm. good problem to have because sometimes I've been reading books and just been like, yes i don't want to (laughs) want to anymore but yeah um so i think that um in in that case like when my mind wanders i had i I do have an issue with nonfiction sometimes when it gets very journalisty okay if that makes sense when it's like um, I mean, and it can be literary nonfiction. Like I had this issue with Devil in the White City, which is exactly my niche. Like I should have been, should have been all enjoy- in yeah. that book. Um, but for some reason, like it was really hard for me to get into it, if that makes sense. Like to get the ball rolling. Like once okay. you get rolling, it'll like I don't want to stop. And then it's not. I mean, then I just have to be like, okay, you have to go to work now. I literally <laughs> should have been working for yeah, 15 minutes. You should, have been, le- you should um, have been leaving the house and doing other uh, things. Right. You should, <laughs> your hair should be clean. <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? Um, okay. So what I have done in that case is uh, it, it really helps for me to turn off all my distractions. So, like, I have to turn off the TV. Yeah, good call. I have to... Mm-hmm. I have to turn my phone on airplane mode and then, you know, every 10 pages or whatever. And I'll, ear, I'll dog ear them too so I can see it coming. You know, yeah. I'm looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but I'll, uh, then I'll check my phone. Like it's my reward. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense to get through it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have um, time for this whole, oh, it's like your book or your phone or your book or your life, you know, that sort of thing. You can't. Right. You, you have to carve out like this precious moment of reading. We do it on the bus, right? We do it on the train. Um, we snatch a, a chapter when you're waiting for the kids to finish practice or something. You have mm-hmm. to fit it in around your life. So yeah, doing it in these short little bites and not being like bothered about that is, is a great thing to be. Yes. Um, I have an, on occasion though, when I'm trying to get into the book, it's hard for me to like stop and start. Okay. So sometimes I'll have to be like, okay, this 30 minutes, that's your plan. That's what you're doing for this. So you like deliberately blocking it out and going, okay, I'm going to do until this. I've gotten up early before to do it that way. Okay. And I'll also do the thing where I listen to the audio book while I'm reading it. So my mind can't wander. <gasps> See, I can't cope with the pressure of that. Like I am the sort of um, chef who can't turn on the oven until I've um, fully done everything beforehand. So like the Mm -hmm. oven isn't staring me out. So like the audio (laughs) book isn't staring me out as well. There are all these things just going, you're not ready yet for me. Yeah, I and I, I can't do it for a long time because after I get into it, I'm like, okay, shut up. I got it. Like, <laughs> I'm reading faster than you. Um, but I'll sometimes, like, just listen to the preview. All right. On, um, on Audible or whatever. Um, what's the big one that we love? Do you know what? I really do step away from Le- audiobooks. Libro. Libre. Libro. Libro FM, please make me sound smart. And that <laughs> um, or Libro FM. Um, so I, I will listen to the preview, and then if I really like the narrator, and I also like doing that too, because especially when I don't know how to pronounce the names, the narrator saying it helps me be like, yeah. "Got it." 
Got it now. Okay, that's I got who. What I should be listening for, and that's what I should be hearing. Right. Yeah. Um, then another thing that helps me a lot, and this is what I would tell my students. So I'm sure that you do this, and I'm sure that many of our listeners already do this. But writing in the book as I go mm. is very helpful. Um, even if it's just like my extreme reactions to something that a man said to a woman. Okay. Even if I just write a an emoji in the margin, uh-huh. like it reminds me that I had an extreme reaction. Yeah, that, to that. something hit home for you that like that emotional response. Right, or like writing "How dare you?" Period uh-huh. in the margin. <laughs> like it's it's just a way for me to be like, oh yeah, that's when he did that terrible thing. Um, so that helps. And then another thing that I do, again, especially when I'm reading books that have been translated from another language or just like above my reading level, um, I have to circle words that I don't know and then look them up at the end of the page. Okay. Otherwise, I just can't, like I don't retain anything because I'm glossing over it. And that's how I learned the word ignominious, <laughs> which Nathaniel Hawthorne uses five times a page in the beginning of the Scarlet Letter. Uh. It is insufferable i do not know why (laughs) he did that but um yeah my my 11th grade um english teacher called that a whoopee like it makes the author feel safe if they overuse that word that's amazing (laughs) all right yeah and then i used to make little games for myself when i was reading yeah (laughs) like how many times did you say it on this page oh seven great it's like their (laughs) emotional approach to do that oh my goodness all right so um yeah, and the other thing that I wanted to mention at this point is you just reminded me actually with like the writing on the books. I don't ever write on library books, uh, my listener friends. No. Um, no, but no, no. I do remember um, one library book coming back in once and it just had every time a certain political party in the UK was mentioned, this person had written next to it, liars. every time and I was obsessed like I started flicking through this book as I was shelving it and I spotted this and we ended up going through the entire book and every time he'd mentioned this party had been mentioned there's just this carefully inked in word liars next to it so I was like yeah that that was um some impressive work yeah slightly inappropriate but uh quite an impressive effort to have that um consistency through the entire thing that's it's terrible that it happened in a library book but hilarious that you got to see their prank yeah the terrible hilarity of library land i think that could be a story (laughs) um oh i had a question for you about big books yeah books what do you do well this tied in again to um some library like uh thing back in the day where we i remember talking to um some people who literally couldn't um manage the really heavy weighty books Mm -hmm. because as we say it's it's the physical thing and i think the rise of e-readers and online and audio has helped to address that a little bit but equally books are getting big right you know if you Mm -hmm. get some fancy pants hardback illustrated deluxe edition that is it's like a little brick in the Mm -hmm. bottom of your bag so i think uh and again, this ties into uh, some stuff we've discussed before about the um, person who chopped the books in half. Yes. On Twitter, which was uh, horrific. <laughs> I think Charles Darwin did that too. Did he? I think so. Darwin, um, you dog. 
I mean, even even more of an, an abomination in his day because those books would have been so expensive yeah. and incredibly hard to bind and print, probably. Some poor, so. like, crying bookbinder following him, just going, Charles, please stop. Right. Stop 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 doing this to my life's work. Just <laughs> stumbling behind him, crying. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Talk no. about writing how dare you in the margin. Um Yeah. Um so yeah. I, I kinda So you think that's terrible, don't do that? I'm not a s I'm not a, a slice and dicer when it comes to a book by no means. But um I do have to think about like, where can I read these? Because if it's really heavy, then I'm not lugging it around and it's mainly a home read and it's kind of fitting it in and scheduling it a bit differently. But, um, yeah, I don't think I've ever reached the point of having to chop something up. I have not done it, but I have thought about it. Ah, you've come close. Yes, and I've had books that definitely have fallen apart because of me transporting them like textbooks and stuff yeah. like that which really made me mad because those are they stupid are expensive cheap things no and they were just pages falling out and i was uh. like unacceptable like <laughs> this is this is like half, for the expensive glue <laughs> this half my bank loan has gone on one book and now it's falling apart i was like thanks really yes um Okay, so I haven't I haven't done that, but I've thought about it, and I've and when my paperback books have fallen apart before that were huge because you know they'll do that if you crease the spine sometimes. Yeah. I've just been like, yeah, okay, I'll tape it back together when I'm done. Yeah, it's just time. There's always time for <coughs> to mend it, but I'm not sure if like um I don't know, just the idea of chopping is alien to me in a vast amount of ways. I'd have been I'd have been the one crying after Charles Darwin. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I would, as I was doing it, feel very not happy. No, I think that's a good call. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good call to, to feel an emotional response to that situation. All right. So the other one we wanted to talk about was um, scary books. And this is one I'm yes. going to throw over to you. Um, because okay. this is your 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 niche, and I am terrified. <laughs> okay, so I think the first thing to know about reading scary books is you gotta know yourself. Okay, like what actually scares you, and then if you if you are trying to tackle it, which I think that I talked about before, of trying to make myself be scared so that I like an exposure therapy yes. type thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, know yourself, right? Like if something is a trigger warning to you and it's literally going to send you into a panic attack, it's not worth it. Yeah. Believe in it your own limits and respect them. Like be kind to yourself. What's the point of pushing yourself into this painful place? Right. Um, if it's an assignment, you got to try. That's how I feel about it. Try it. Do your best. Write about your experience. And any teacher, right, mm-hmm. is going to recognize that you tried. Yeah. And you had an experience. And it's not for you. And not everything will be for you. And that's okay. Yeah. And if they don't recognize that, send it to send them to um, us. And we will write you a note that says, Yes. Wrong. 
<laughs> we will write a strongly worded email yes, on your behalf. We are here to do such things. I have done it before. <laughs> Um, yes. So I think that is a big thing. Um, with me, I was just, I don't like to be scared of stuff. And I also feel like movies and books put those types of experiences in controlled environments. So if at any point I'm like, this is too much for me, I'm going to close the book. I'm going to go turn on the office. I'm going to say a quick prayer. I'm going to do one nice thing per day (laughs) and I'm going to stay in my lane. And then, you know, like, some of it is knowing yourself and some of it is like braving a fear, like being scared and then doing it anyway. Mm. I know um, for me, like I think I've talked about this on this show before, but um, demons are really scary for me and evil children because I believe in them and I think they exist. And so learning about them is helpful for me to kind of manage. That. The, like the more you know, there's yes. power in knowledge, I think. So, and same with true crime. Like I used to not be able to watch home invasion stuff and it's still the poster for the strangers is horrifying. Like it's just this woman in her kitchen and then there's like a mask peeping out of a doorway behind her. Absolutely not. Like that's horrible. So for example, like if you're reading something about home invasion or like a haunted house, maybe don't read it when you're home alone. Yeah. Maybe read it in the library or read it in the morning <laughs> like at the coffee bright, shop surrounded a, by yeah, people in a, you in love a bright place surrounded yeah. by kittens and rainbows and it'll work yeah i think so i think that that is part of it and um i know we're going to talk about this in a minute but whenever i've read something that was super scary to me, I tried to find someone else who had read it so I could just process it with them. Uh, yeah. Like if something really freaked me out, I would be like, I got to talk about this. I got to talk about it. Like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I just need to say it out loud. So it's out there. But it's as you say, like talking about it and getting the knowledge helps you deal with that thing. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Because then it, it kind of helps me understand why I'm scared of something. Exactly. Like, is it something that actually happened to me or am I scared of it because, like, what's the, I guess, is the impetus the right word? What sort of sentence? I don't know. I think it's wrong. Uh, and I'm just trying to sound smarter than I am. Oh, no. <laughs> Which happened. I'm going to look that up. Next time I'm going to use it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think figuring out what yeah. is scary about it helps. And I think that's part of the point of literary fiction, right? Like we talked about in the, in episode zero, what is it? Mm. It's some like, what is literary fiction? I think it's something that makes you think about it afterward. Like it doesn't, what's happening on the page isn't all of it yeah. is happening and it's not all it means. Like the whole dropping like sense. a pebble into a pond and just seeing the after effects on yourself. Yes. Yeah. What a great image. Hi, and we're done. We'll sign off there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the final... Leave them on a high note. So, yeah, the, um, the, the final thing I think we wanted to touch on, and again, as Mary Kay says, we talk about um, what literary fiction is and what it can be in episode zero. So do feel free to go back and check that one out. It's a bite-sized intro, ep, and mm-hmm. it should give you a bit more clarity about our angle on this. But we wanted to touch on the notion of books we just don't understand and I think you know mm-hmm. we talked about this a bit already and covered it but um yeah how do you deal with a book that you are just not getting how do I deal with yeah that? what what 
what's your sort of if you are reading something and you're just thinking I just mm-hmm. don't get any of this I don't understand it there's nothing here that's connecting to me is that something you can manage or like do you have any tips about that yes so a lot of the time I will need to read a book because it's just a hole in my knowledge and the reason that it's a hole in my knowledge is because I can't make myself care about it like um the one that I had to read and just could not get invested in is Beowulf and and I had to, right? Because yeah. it's it's a staple of literature. Like a lot of those epics are very inaccessible to me. Mm-hmm. So what I've had to do is go find someone who love it, who loves it, and sit them down and say, "Tell me why this is important." Yeah. Like if if I know why it's important, it won't necessarily make me care about it, but I I have a reason, you know? Yeah, I like, get that. And and so I asked my teacher that I was like. I think this was like my sophomore year in college. I was like, I don't care about this. Can you like, and I'm trying, like she knew that I was like a good student. Yeah. I was like, can, can you I just, me it in? doesn't, yeah, I just don't know why I should like it. And she was like, you don't have to like it. It's just about how to like reintegrate veterans into society and how they couldn't do it. Oh, boom. And Duh. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, well now I care. Like now I care a lot because, you know, Beowulf goes off and fights and then he's kind of like, well, now what? You know what? Like, yeah. What do I do with my life now? Um, and then he dies in battle, and it's happy, <laughs> that, right? That. <laughs> like that's a hero's death, and especially like Viking culture, mm. right? But anyway, so I, I think that the the trick is for like it's kind of like eating your vegetables, right? Yes. Like I hate this. <laughs> I keep hating it while I'm eating it. But if someone is like, yes, but it'll prevent you from having heart failure. It's like, oh, well, worth it. Like yeah. I'll choke it down. Yep. <laughs> like, and have a reason yeah what about you how do you how do you do how do you deal with books you don't understand I do you know what I think um with your mention of Beowulf actually I tend to go towards comics if I can because I think it's really interesting to see um and this is all touching on the stuff that we've we've chatted about is someone else's opinion on something someone else is reading on it plus I think that comics especially with mm-hmm. um the big established litfic classics the big sort of almost impenetrable texts comics can do something really exciting there mm-hmm. and kind of destabilize them a little bit and open them up and find that space for the you as the reader to get in and, and get some purchase on these texts so one of the ones that i actually mm-hmm. really enjoyed was um, a version of beowulf which is what reminded me of the connection um and it was by a guy called gareth hines and he's done some really interesting interpretations of things like Beowulf and the Odyssey and he did one of Romeo and Juliet as well which was really exciting so I love um that's really cool yeah I really recommend them they're so good um spinning comics I, into these into these discussions is really exciting yeah um I I actually was thinking about like doing looking at an adaptation first mm. like uh I have a, a graphic novel by um, Isabel Greenberg, one hundred, the One Hundred Nights of Hero, which is a oh. retelling of um, Arabian Nights or a, a Thousand and One. Nights. I have that on my reservation. Um, so, I mean, I think that that can be really helpful, and I, uh, like along with casting the like the characters. Yeah, I have, and I and I I know I should feel bad about this, but I don't. Sometimes I'll watch the movie first, <laughs> just so I can get just so I can get like 
the narrative down. And then, of course, like, if you read the book and then watch the movie, you can't enjoy the movie because you're like, well, this is not the way it really happened. Like, this is not, it's not right. No, but if it um, works, that's if how it I, works, at least. that's the thing, right? If it gets you into these stories, it doesn't matter, right. like, the route that you take or the journey that you have in understanding them. It's a way in and it's a way towards understanding. So, again, yeah, if you get told, um, uh, listeners that if you get told that watching the movie isn't valid or it doesn't let you um understand the book in its original 19th century alien translation <laughs> uh let us know and we will write you again an angry wo- angry worded email on your behalf right <laughs> and i don't think it takes the place of reading the book by any mm. means i'm not trying to say that like you can tell if someone has only seen the movie oh yeah for sure it's just part of the journey um, but right it- Yes, and I think um, speaking of that, especially now that we have television interpretations and like mini series yeah. instead of just one movie, like we're allowed to get a lot more of uh, the nuance of the book in the adaptation. And I think um, one that, uh, and I didn't, I didn't have a problem with this one, but I know a lot of my fellow students did when I was assigned roots like I whipped through that that was amazing it was accessible it was such an important book this is Alex Haley's roots um but I had a lot of friends who were like no I just wanted to watch the movie with LeVar Burton and it's like (sighs) yeah do that too you know like then you have the visuals which I mean and I think it's not fair either because some people are just not uh visual or auditory learners and so excluding them from books because they're not because they're doing audiobook instead of reading yeah. it with their eyes. That's not really fair. Yeah, it's, like, it's not a route we go down here, I don't think, by any means. No. Yeah. Uh, no, we don't. Yeah. We, we do not support um, exclusion. <laughs> however, uh-uh. however you get it is good. Yeah, it's yeah. all good for us. So shall we talk about um, our current reads now for a bit and just share what we're reading? Oh, yeah, I want to. Oh, yeah, you go I first. want to share go, this. Go, go. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what I'm reading right now is called The Cooper's Wife is Missing, The Trials of Bridget Cleary by Joan Hoff and Marion Yates. And this is a historical true crime about um, a woman who was thought to be a changeling and um, her subsequent death because they tried to exercise the changeling from her. And I'm thinking exercise as in not as in going to the gym. Right. <laughs> exorcise. <laughs> you know how I have a thing with demons. <laughs> <laughs> These are changelings, but for all intensive purposes, very similar. Okay. So that's what I'm reading right now. And it's actually, it's, I'm glad I stuck with it. The first 50 pages didn't even mention her. So it was a lot of like context of what was happening in Ireland and England at, at the time, which is very relevant. But I had to use some of the tactics that I mentioned earlier to kind of get in there. Yeah. Now that I'm halfway through it, I'm like, yeah, 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 I want more. But you know how sometimes it's tough. It's yeah. uh, tough getting started. Speaking of, oh, yeah. well, well, how's your reading going? Um, well, I am starting to just weep over Les Miserables. Um, it's like literally the world moves on civilization civilizations rise civilizations fall uh planets grow stars explode and i've read like 10 pages of this book but apart from that wow. i know it's gonna take me forever so um we can throw a party in like the next six years when i do finish it but uh, 
on a brighter note, I got my... Baby steps. Oh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, on a brighter note, I finally got my hands on Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine yeah. Evaristo. And it is just dreamy. It's it's It should have won the Booker Prize outright for last year. It's outstanding. And I urge you towards it if you are like me, um, only just sort of getting towards uh, reading it. It's It's just great. Now, this is the one that you talked about on the last episode. Yeah, right? the one that split the okay. uh, Booker with Margaret Atwood and the Testaments. Right. Yeah, the mixed uh, feelings situation. But this is an outstanding piece of work. It's okay. gorgeous and it's lyrical and it's brilliant. And like 10 pages of that was a couple of minutes. So there's my comparison. Right. I mean, some books move faster and that doesn't make them better or worse. Mm. I don't think. But yeah. It's a different beast. So yeah, that's uh that's my current read. It's great. Wonderful. This has been so much fun yeah. talking to you about this topic because I don't know, when I was teaching it was a topic a lot. Yeah. Like, I don't want to read no it. No one ever I goes like oh reading is hard. <laughs> or reading is hard work or difficult, do they? Everyone's like, Oh reading's so great. And it's like it is right. it, but it's also Yes quite complicated right and the same with anything the more you do it the better you get at it exactly yeah yeah um so thank you louise this is a great topic and thank you to our sponsors and thank y'all for listening uh yeah don't forget to subscribe through however you get your podcasts don't forget to tell your friends about us and again if you could leave us a review and rating if you enjoyed the episode it really helps other people find us it helps a lot and you can find us louise and i individually where can they find you louise you can find me at my website which is did you ever stop to think.com and i am at shallow found twitter and this is Mary Kay. My website is MaryKayMcBrayer.com. And I'm also on Twitter at MKMcBrayer and Instagram at my full name again, Mary Kay McBrayer. We love it when y'all reach out. We love hearing from you. We would love to hear what you want to hear exactly. from us. Yeah. Yes. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.